Hello and you're very welcome to Maritime Ireland. This is Tom McSweeney with the only radio programme and podcast about Ireland's maritime development, our relationship with the sea around this island nation and about our maritime culture, history and tradition. On this edition, we'll hear that Irish fishermen can claim to be the best in the world but are being held back by government and European Union restrictions. We talked to a teacher in Galway who has developed a sea school programme to introduce primary pupils to the wonders of the sea. Hear why our offshore islanders are concerned about how wind energy developments could affect their lives. And hear how a boat with a history going back to the attempted French invasion in Bantry Bay has over a hundred replicas around the world. The state body for the fishing industry is Bordiski Water, and in its annual Business of Seafood report, brought the good news that, despite a volatile year on world markets last year, the Irish seafood sector in total was worth 1.3 billion euros to the national economy. Fish landings were down, but prices were up. Challenges abound, but growth in the sector continues, according to Bordiski Water's new chief executive, Caroline Buckwell. Reflecting the vital role, she says, which the sector plays in coastal communities and the enduring strength of the seafood industry. That was good news. So what is the view in the industry itself? John Lynch is chief executive of the Irish South and East Fish Producers Organisation, whose headquarters are based in Waterford and many of whose boats fish out of Dunmore East. Landings of wild caught fish by Irish vessels is down 10%, but the value is up 14%. But that doesn't offset the uh, increased cost in the fuel, you know. So employment in the seafood sector as a whole is down 8%. And that's before we have decommissioning. When we have decommissioning, our employment in the sector will go down even further. And the big claim being made about the increase in value, although we've had an increase in value, the decrease in um, volume from the Brexit is still uh, having a very serious effect on the industry as a whole because it's volume that gives employment. Although value is good and increases and helps with profitability, it's the volume of fish to be processed on shore is what gives jobs. So we don't have the volume. So even though we may have a more valuable industry, we have a smaller industry. Uh, this smaller industry needs a lot of support now to rebuild it and to modernise it for the future. We need a fleet modernization scheme. We probably could even do with a fleet renewal scheme to bring us into line with, with other fleets in Europe. John Lynch, Chief Executive of the Irish South and East Fish Producers Organisation, calling for a more government commitment to the Irish fishing fleet. Down in Castletown Bear in West Cork, Patrick Murphy is Chief Executive of the Irish South and West Fish Producers. He came very much to the fore when leading fishermen in their protests over Russian naval exercises off the south coast and has announced that he intends going into politics with the AN2 party in an attempt to get into the European Parliament and bring fishermen's concerns direct to the European Union, which is long seen as the cause of much of the restrictions imposed on the Irish fleet. He says Irish fishermen are the best in the world the most skilled fishermen genuinely on the planet and I'll explain why because they're lean and mean Tom they have to be the best of their game because they're not allowed to go out and just fish 
they have to go out and fish certain stocks. So they have to be better than the next fella. When the fish are there, it's easy to catch them. All fellas are running from fish. They're not allowed to catch them. So they're better fishermen. And I, I, I don't care whether I'd be criticised for that. I mean it. They're really lean, mean and hard. Like, they, they really earn their living. We've the best fishing grounds in Europe. Genuinely. Second maybe to the UK and the North Sea. But we really do have our seas full of fish, despite what people might think. So that's the positive. The negative is, is that we're not allowed to go and catch our own fish, which are, we only need to be left go from the traps, open it up, let us off. We'd beat the rest. There's no problem with that. And the same then with the processing. We have the people ashore and the skilled and very intelligent people, highly skilled, highly trained people, Tom. It's no bother to us. But we just, we're not given the chance, like... And that's the problem. And we need to fight for that chance. And it's only right. We're getting 15 and 16% of the fish out of our own waters. It's just not right. And legally speaking, I think it's totally illegal. And that's why why I'm going into politics. Patrick Murphy, Chief Executive of the Irish South and West Fish Producers Organisation, with a clear message about Irish fishermen. The call Mayday, Mayday is used for major emergencies at sea. This month of May, it is the call of the RNLI, the Lifeboat Service, for public support, as Neil Stevenson, the organisation's public affairs manager, outlines. It's called Mayday, the most serious call for help. The charity is calling on the public to join the RNLI's Mayday Mile to help raise vital funds to keep people safe this summer. It's easy to take part in and support the Ornalai's lifesavers. Simply complete an Ornalai May Day mile a day, every day, this May, wherever or however you like. Walk, jog, hop or skip. Or it might be a 5k walk every other day or a unit of steps, whatever and wherever you like. Funds raised through the Ornalai May Day appeal help lifesavers have everything they need to keep people safe on the water. Warmer weather draws more people out and volunteer lifeboat crews will drop whatever they're doing when a call for help comes in. So Mayday is our own call for help as we rely on the generosity of the public to take parts in events like the Mayday Mile and raise the funds that allow us to be there when we're needed most. But our crews need to be ready. Training, kit, stations, fuel. These are just some of the things we need to save lives and that fundraising can help provide. And to help inspire you, some of our lifeboat crews are getting involved too. Dunmore East Ornalise volunteer crew members are taking on the daunting challenge of climbing a vertical mile in a single day. The crew will test their strength and stamina by summiting the highest peaks in both the Cumara and Knockmeal Down Mountains, ascending a vertical mile over the course of the day. To make the challenge even more gruelling, the team will be wearing their full lifeboat kit. In Kilmore Quay, the lifeboat crew will lead the way around the promenade and along Ballytide Borough Wexford Walking Trail. And the volunteer lifeboat crew from the three Donegal-based Ornolai stations at Bundoran, Loxwilly and on Aranmore Island will climb the highest mountain in the county, Errigal, as part of the fundraising campaign. Two crew from each station will climb the 751 metres of the Donegal Mountain in full lifeboat gear in a combined fundraising effort for the three stations. To give you some idea of what the lifeboat crews at the 46 lifeboat stations in Ireland are involved in, 
They launched 1,061 times last year. The amount of people rescued is usually well in excess of this, but there is another figure that rarely gets mentioned and which I wanted to highlight. Last year, lifeboat crews saved the lives of 30 people. The RLI measures this as people who absolutely would not have survived if it were not for the intervention of the lifeboat crew. It's measured by a really high bar and it's a sobering figure. The year before, the figure was 21 people. And that figure sits quietly inside the larger one of people rescued. But it's such an important one. In the breakdown of the casualties, motorboats accounted for 255 callouts, sailing vessels for 117 launches, and commercial fishing had 55 callouts. Kayakers and canoeists had 27 callouts, and swimmers 22. What might surprise you is that walkers and runners made up 13 callouts. Lifeboat crew can launch their inshore lifeboats to shore-based callouts too, so if someone is injured on the rocks or at the base of cliffs while out for a walk or a run, they may end up getting help from a lifeboat crew as well as the shore-based Coast Guard units who do great work. For those interested, and I know from experience that many people are, the lifeboat crews do launch to help non-humans too. Cattle, once again, are there, but so too are our beloved dogs with 18 call-outs to them. Summer is traditionally our busiest time of year and the Ornalise May Mayday fundraiser runs for the whole month. You can sign up for the Mayday Mile now and find out more at ornali.org forward slash support Mayday. And that website address, if you'd like to take part in the RNLI Mayday, is rnli.org forward slash support Mayday. And again, that's rnli.org forward slash support Mayday. Interestingly, Neve also told me that RNLI crews have responded to calls for help with stranded dolphins. There were 25 call-outs for this purpose last year to which they respond in conjunction with the Irish Whale and Dolphin Group. The Atlantic Challenge International began in 1984 to bring young people from different nations together in competitions through friendly contest to preserve and sustain traditional seamanship skills. The Atlantic Challenge longboat can be rowed and sailed, though when sailed it depends on the weight of the crew to balance the boats which don't have keels underneath to steady them. I once sailed in the Bantry longboat and it was quite an experience down in Bantry Bay, moving from side to side to keep it upright. The longboats harken back to the attempted French invasion of Ireland at Bantry Bay in West Cork when Wolf Tone was aboard the invasion fleet and the boats would have been used to land the invasion force. But that didn't happen. The invasion was decimated by gales and never took place. So the longboats are replicas of the original dating back to the late 1700s. There are now a hundred of them around the world. The original was restored and is on display in the National Museum at Collins Barracks in Dublin. Dermot Murphy of the Atlantic Challenge Bantry Group has been telling me about their plans for a marine development programme in Bantry and the next Atlantic Challenge event which will be taking place next year in Belfast. There had been a plan to hold in Russia, but Putin's invasion of Ukraine scuppered that. Dermot Murphy and the story of the Atlantic Challenge from Bantry Bay, where it all began. 
the Italian Challenge has been running for the mid-80s every two years in a kind of an international contest of seamanship, starting off with two countries and now we've got 14 countries involved. We were supposed to travel to Russia in 2020 and we were there in 2019 for a meeting and it was fantastic, but COVID struck and we haven't travelled since because Vladimir Putin struck after that and Russia now is a, is a non-entity, so the next uh, event going ahead will be in Belfast in Maine in 2024. So we'll be travelling there next summer um, for about two weeks, um, a little bit of training beforehand, and um, the contest, the seamanship will last about eight or nine days. Um, and so we're kind of really looking forward to that because we haven't had an event since 2018 in Antrim. Um, and it'll be very exciting, I think. We're only one cog in the in the, in the machine, really. Um, we were When we were in Maine, actually, we went to Rockland, the apprentice shop, I don't know if you know of it, Lance Lee was one of the founders of that and he was also one of the founders of Atlantic Challenge so we got to meet him again and he's a, he's always been a, followed us and been a great supporter and leader to the organisation but there's been a number of different countries that have been very strong you know, we'd, we'd have a strong representation um, and uh, you know it's, it's developed uh, in a huge way it's, there's, there's over 100 of the Bantry Bay longboats built worldwide at this stage and not all of them are still in service they, they have a lifespan I suppose Um Unity, which is the Bantry longboat in Bantry, was built by Billy Andy O'Driscoll in 1989-90 and is still going. She's probably the oldest one on the fleet, but um, they they get a lot of they get a lot of um, a lot of heavy use because they wouldn't originally have been designed for racing, you know. Great part of Irish history, of course, and now you're embarking on another project in Bantry in relation to the plan for a marine centre. What will that mean? Or what will that involve, Dermot? Well, I suppose we, we're at this quite a while. Um, six or seven years at this stage. Again, COVID has sank its teeth in and, and the brakes came on for about two or three years. But um, we've, we've, um, we've planned to develop a marine centre in Bantry, which we've, we're calling the Bantry Marine Activity Centre. Now, Atlantic Challenger are involved in that. The Rowing Club are involved in that and the Bantry Bay Sailing Club are also involved amongst other smaller groups as well to create a kind of an all-for-one decent maritime facility um, to give us better access to the sea, education, sea swimming, all of the above. But for a small town, we, you know, each club has small facilities. We don't have a huge population. All the clubs have come together and said, let's let's pool in together and, and develop something on a community basis. That would be great for introducing young people to the marine as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you you had um, um, the Sea Sculpture on one of your episodes there recently, and they were talking about kind of a contest of uh, nautical skills and seamanship and stuff like that as well. The Atlantic Challenge is a, is, a, is a big pusher of that, and being able to overlap then with the rowing club and the sailing club and hand those skills over to those guys as well and, and encourage more people, people to draw people. You know, so if you've got if you've got a busy place, it's, it's, it'll draw more people. You know, so um, that's our that's our kind of idea and our plan. And we we have a feasibility study going on at the moment. And we've just had a, a survey held um, just to kind of get a bit of a, a public um, consultation of sorts. Over four hundred uh, submissions, and that's quite a lot in the, in the town, the side of Bantry. So there's a big interest in it here. So we, we're kind of positive enough about the project. Now a roundup of the month's coastal and maritime news, here's Anton O'Callaghan. I'll start this month's roundup with some good news and a tribute to young Irish sailors. 
after a 53-year gap, Ireland has won the UK Inter-University Sailing Championships and did so on the home waters of that high-level British university, Cambridge. The University College Dublin sailing team won the British Intraversities Team Racing Championships, the first Irish win since 1970. So a bit of sailing history made. In a round-robin series in which several universities competed, the Dubliners won 12 of 14 races and then defeated Cambridge in the final. The championships were sailed on Britain's third biggest reservoir, Grafham Water in Cambridgeshire, which is described as the best inland sailing in the UK and which is the home waters of Cambridge University. Now that's a nice story to tell about a fine victory after a gap of 53 years. Codling Wind Park is offering fishermen a €100,000 a year fisheries fund, which, it says, is intended to support initiatives suggested by fishermen who operate within and around the Codling Bank area of the Irish Sea and may be impacted by offshore wind energy development. The fund is to operate for five years. Codling Wind Park is a 50-50 joint venture between Fred Olson Sea Wind Company and EDF Renewables. It is to be located 13 to 22 kilometres off the coast between Greystones and Wicklow Town. The company has indicated that it is also considering helping to establish a lobster hatchery. The Clean Coasts Environmental Organisation annual Love Your Coast Photography Competition has opened for entries for its 14th edition. The competition invites photographers to submit entries featuring images from coastal communities, the maritime environment, waterways, coastlines, beaches, cliff faces or rivers. Closing date for entries, which must be uploaded to the website cleancoasts.org, is August 28th. The total number of turbines being proposed for wind farms around the Irish coast is not yet clear, but initial estimates put the number at several hundred. Off the Connemara coast, there is opposition from coastal communities to a project to build 30 turbines, some of which, it is reported, could be as high as the Eiffel Tower. On the east coast, inshore fishermen have protested about surveying for what is called the Dublin Array Wind Farm, to be located 10 kilometres off the Dublin-Wicklow coast. It proposes to build between 39 and 50 turbines. Galway Shipping Company has donated €5,000 to the city's RNLI station. In operation since 1947, the company is based a short distance from the lifeboat station at New Docks. This donation brings total donations made to the RNLI in Galway so far this year to €100,000. And finally, Cork Port is helping migrant birds arriving in Cork Harbour to breed safely. The Irish coastline provides important breeding grounds for a great number of seabirds, of which, over the next few months, common terns will be migrating to Cork Harbour, appearing to have chosen Ringeskiddy in Cork Harbour as their favourite location. It is also where Cork Port Company has built its huge international container terminal. Terns are long-distance migrants which winter in tropical and subtropical regions and are heading for Cork this summer. They like to nest on flat surfaces close to water. So the Port Company has built a number of moored pontoons for them, the sites will be monitored during the breeding season by students from the School of Biological, Earth and Environmental Science at UCC, 
led by ornithologist Barry O'Mahony, who says the pontoons, designed to keep out predators, provide a protected breeding site for terns, which are an endangered seabird species. As I said at the outset, it's nice to have a good story to tell. That's the Maritime News Roundup, Anton O'Callaghan reporting. Taoiseach Leo Varadkar and Minister Eamon Ryan attended the North Sea Summit in Ostend, Belgium last month, with lots of posturing statements about the importance of increased green energy production and the cooperation needed between European countries. Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Kogolilona Heron, the Islands Federation, has a question. What does all of that have to do with Ireland's offshore islands? And she has suggestions for the Taoiseach and Minister Ryan. The importance of renewable energy and offshore renewable energy generation must not be understated. Neither should the development of other green fuels and technologies. Green ferries, for example, are integral to lessening the carbon footprint of the islands. The Department of the Environment, Climate and Communications recently conducted a public consultation on the Offshore Renewable Energy Development Plan, which covers the huge potential of Ireland's offshore waters and maps areas deemed appropriate for this technology. The offshore islands fit into this consultation on several levels. IMRO, the Irish Islands Marine Research Organization, emphasized the importance of small-scale fisheries as vitally important for island and coastal communities and the need to preserve and promote them. Additionally, the smaller boats which fish close to their home ports are very vulnerable to displacement. And importantly, it is felt that the structures associated with ORE should be placed at no less than the 12 nautical miles limit, avoiding nurseries and rich fishing grounds. There's insufficient data on several island-related considerations. For example, the effects of offshore renewable energy generation and infrastructure on seaweed, which is an important island resource. Also, tourism is central for the economy of many of the offshore islands. So will the visual impact of the wind farms have a negative effect? Not if the structures are placed outside the 12 nautical mile limit. Careful consideration must be made of how the technology is designed, cited, and monitored, as well as possible negative impacts on the offshore islands. So it's Slon for now from the islands. Rhoda Twombly, Secretary of Kogolilona Heron, the Islands Federation, the voice of the offshore island communities. There are wonderful people doing great things to raise awareness of the marine sector around Ireland. Skolvrida Chantala is a primary school based on the west side of Galway City, where Colette Fury is a teacher and has started a programme between it and the Galway Hooker Sailing Club, the Sea School Project for the primary school students, in what is a very positive marine project to introduce young people to the sea. I'm a primary school teacher and I ended up taking a career break, which went on for a couple of years. And during that time, I was away at sea on a Dutch tall ship um, working um, as crew. And I worked in, you know, I sailed to Antarctica and around the Atlantic and, and all these places. Um, and then while I was in the middle of that five years, that's when I met um, Kieran Oliver and got involved in the Galway Hooker Sailing Club. And that all kind of went from that. 
so as a result of being involved in that and then seeing, um, you know, being a, I work in a, I teach in a disadvantaged school there in the city and I could just see that there was uh, opportunities missed there for kids to have a career at sea or have exposure to the marine industry, I guess, and the marine world. And I felt that it's uh, not something necessarily that is uh, highlighted uh, uh, here in Galway anyway. I'm, I'm only speaking from a very local kind of um, aspect. Um, and I just felt that, that maybe the kids didn't know about it or wouldn't be able to be exposed to it or have access to it or whatever. So then on the back of Galway Hooker Sailing Club and Galway Bay Boat Tours, uh, which is Kieran's company, and he also uh, would have an interest in youth development in within the marine area. And coming from the education background, I set up, uh, I just got a project off the ground and couldn't come up with a clever name, so we just named it Sea School. And yeah, so we run it throughout it kind of started, it sort of loosely started in 2019, but I guess officially kind of started last year when, when schools were back, you know. And, yeah, the idea, I'm doing it every Wednesday in school um, in the afternoons in for the shore-based stuff. Um, and then we just get the kids out on the boats and I'm, I'm getting them into Gorbay Seafoods where they've come in for um, seafood cooking demonstrations. And, yeah, I just wanted to show the kids the whole marine world. And what age group are we talking about, Colette? Yeah, so I've started, I've actually kind of encompassed the whole school, really. So, um, now, the, my main focus would be kind of from about second or third class up. And the idea would be, you know, so that by the time, say, the second or third class, by the time they're in sixth class, you know, I'd like them, you know, that they would have a certain skill level for, you know, the for boats and, you know, everything kind of surrounding the, um, surrounding. Like, so there's, there's kids there now that are in sixth class this year. They would have been in fifth last year. So, you know, by this year now, there's certain knots that they're able to do. They know a bit more about the chart work, you know, and, and this sort of stuff. Um, there's a few of them there. I get them out. Um, you know, get them, you know, teach them about the different parts of the boat. Um, and that would be the kind of practical sort of stuff. Um, so, yeah, it's it's kids from, essentially from second, third class, uh, right up to sixth class. And when they're out on a boat, is a Galway hookers they're out on? Uh, not yet, but that is the aim, yeah. But that just hasn't, uh, hasn't come about yet. I'm kind of trying to teach them... Uh, uh, just about boats and safety and sailing and all of that before we before we kind of get them on the hookers. But I would be hoping now before the sixth class leave uh, school this year that they will, you know, even just get a quick uh, spin on the hookers because they're all familiar with them and um, and that. And then, uh, like, I don't want them to stop at primary school, so I have links with two local secondary schools where some of our kids would continue on. Not all of them, of course, you're going to lose some of them along the way and, you know, some of them won't have an interest in it and won't be interested in keeping it up and that's fine. But there is some kids then 
that have uh, that will go on to the secondary school, and um, we just became a European Blue School there about two weeks ago. So we entered a project to build a boat with um, a local secondary school. So they're doing the same project, and the two schools are going to work together. So the idea is, you know, that sea school continues on if kids are interested within secondary school. I went to the council, uh, Scorch City Council, um, last September, and they uh, saw the value in it, and they actually uh, uh, funded us €5,000 towards the project. So we've been using that to, well, I bought some resources um, and uh, I made a resource box for each class and in the resource box then I'd have some um, books and links to things and model boats and um, rope. Uh, I, You know, I did up some lengths of, of rope for the kids so we learned they're not. So every class has a sea school resource box and they would use that for, um, you know, so that I don't have to be my idea as well is that I'm passing the skills on to the other teachers. So, for example, I was doing a lesson there recently on safety. So I went into one of the classes and did it, and a couple of the other teachers uh, were able to sit in, and then that they can uh, help me to deliver it, uh, you know, so that they can show a kid a life jacket and talk about, uh, you know, how a life jacket works and how you have to, you know, that sort of stuff. Like we had the kids down to the workshop there to see the loving being built and to hear that story. And, you know, so they would be, you know, so there is interest there with us um, and there is people can see the value in it, I think. Colette Fury, teacher of Skull Reedish Chantal Galway and the collaboration between the school and Galway Hooper Sailing Club. Wonderful to hear about. And with that, we end this edition of Maritime Ireland with sound production by Justin Marr. You can email me to tomacsweeneymaritimeireland at gmail.com. That's tomacsweeneymaritimeireland at gmail.com. Phone and text 0872 555 197. That's 0872 555 197. As well as the monthly podcast program, we also publish a weekly extract each Friday on podcast services. Our website is at maritimeirelandradioshow.ie. That's maritimeirelandradioshow.ie for our website. With lots more maritime news and opinion. And there's a weekend newsletter on LinkedIn and Facebook with daily news on our Twitter feed at Tom Until our next edition with the usual wish of fair sailing, thank you for listening and being part of the maritime community. Thank you.